Hold on to your butts. Hello and welcome to episode 70 of the Reviewed Movie Podcast. I am Ivan Kander, and as always, I am joined by my two handsome, Devin Air co-hosts Dave Glanz and Mike Morandi. Say hello, gentlemen. Hello, Hello, gentlemen. gentlemen. (laughs) And this is the podcast where we talk about classic movies in a modern cinematic context to see if they hold up uh, to repeat viewings. Um, So if this is your first time listening to the show, you can find us on the web at reviewedpodcast.com at facebook.com slash reviewedpodcast. And you can email us with movie suggestions and comments at contact at reviewedpodcast.com. And on today's episode, uh, even though Halloween is over, we're going to stay in that scary movie motif and talk about Stanley Kubrick's 1980 horror classic, The Shining. I don't suppose they uh, told you anything in Denver about the tragedy we had up here during the winter of 1970. I heard a man named Charles Grady is the winter caretaker. From what I've been told, I mean, he seemed like a completely normal individual. But at some point... During the winter, he must have suffered some kind of a complete mental breakdown. He ran amok and uh, killed his family for the next. Well, you can rest assured, Mr. Ullman, that's not going to happen with me. (laughs) That's right. Mom, they really want to go and live in that hotel for the winter. Sure I do. It'll be lots of fun. The only thing that can get a bit trying up here during the winter is uh, the tremendous sense of isolation. Is there something bad here? I fear you will have to deal with this matter in the harshest possible way. So The Shining was Dave's choice. No, no. Nope. Oh, sorry, Mike's choice. Excuse Correct. me, I screwed that up. And this is actually the third Kubrick movie we are discussing on this podcast, which is crazy because he hasn't made that many movies, and we haven't discussed that many right, movies. We did 2001 and A Clockwork Orange. Yes. Right? Um, so um, we've really started to go through the Kubrick um, filmography, as it were, and the film. Uh, I'll try to do my best to see if I can. I'm going to pull up the IMDb plot summary. Of this movie, guys, Gee-gee. so I can get it right. But it's 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 adapted from a Stephen King novel of the same name. It stars Jack Nicholson and Shelley Duvall, and the plot is a family heads to an isolated hotel for the winter, where an evil and spiritual presence influences the father into violence, while his psychic son sees horrific forebodings from the past and of the future. Um, so good. that's, that's what good. it is. This yeah. movie is considered to be a cinematic classic. Um, it's currently number 59 on IMDb's top 250 list. It's on the AFI's top 100. It's considered one of the greatest horror movies of all time. Um, so when Mike originally suggested doing this movie, I was like, this episode is going to suck because I hate talking about really popular acclaimed movies on this show because I feel like it doesn't give a lot of discussion uh, into like what I don't know. I don't know how interesting it is to talk about how good something is. Yeah, you always say that every time we talk like The Godfather or Jaws or yeah. whatever. It, you know, you I don't. Say I it. always find it like I'm always uh, hesitant. But on this case, I had an interesting experience rewatching uh, The Shining, and I'll get into that uh, later. But first, I'm going to go to you, Mike, because I believe this is your first time seeing this movie. Yes, as in all movies. Now, oh, yeah. uh, the the interesting thing about The Shining is it is now heralded as a cinematic classic. It is considered to be a great film, one of Kubrick's best movies, one of the greatest horror movies ever made, one of the great uh, Stephen King adaptations. But when the movie first came out in the eighties, it got very mixed reviews at the box office. In fact, a lot of people didn't like The Shining, um, and really kind of ripped it apart. And even Stephen King himself. Uh, the author of the book said he didn't like the adaptation of his own novel. Said he hated it, in, and he still does. Oh, whoa. So I didn't even yeah. know it was that that strong. So um, He hated it so much he actually had it remade as a crappy miniseries in the 90s. There you go. Um, so, hmm. Mike, going into this movie fresh, where do you side? Do you side with that original... Um, that original reaction of the public or do you reside with this reaction that has since accumulated over time where this is considered to be one of the best classic horror movies ever made? Oh man. Um, I ultimately, I really like it. I I thought it was, I thought it was creepy. It was actually one of the few movies I can think of. I think exorcist I did this with as well. I was watching it at like 1130 at night in my apartment by myself. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to put pause, I'm going to put hit pause on this and then come back in the morning. Maybe just, you know, in daylight might make it a little bit easier. Um, I, I turned it off right. Yeah, well, what it doesn't matter. It's, it was halfway through, and it was just getting real creepy. And I think um, 
I God, I think the shots. It's the shots, the cinematography. There's something about the just the the long, agonizingly slow dolly shots and the weird snap and slow zooms. I feel like I don't. The last time I saw a zoom in a movie was the um, the one we did with uh, God. What the hell's the guy's name? The, I don't the know. That doesn't, making, like, <laughs> that doesn't help us. Shit. Yeah, no, it doesn't help at all. The guy who likes making dollhouse movies and um, oh, oh Wes, uh, Anderson. Wes Anderson. Thank yeah, you, yeah, Wes Anderson, yeah. who who beats the hell out of zooms like that. Um, but God, they were so creepy, and and like it's it's very strange because it doesn't. It's like a hallmark of someone who's not a good filmmaker, but because you're Stanley Kubrick, you know how to do it right. Um, but uh, not really. It was just something that was probably a technique that was probably overused once uh, zoom lenses were invented and made affordable. I, for, I guess for I don't know. It's something about it is very eerie because it's jarring and it's very. Um, it, it feels unnatural, and I think that's it's perfect for the tone of the movie. Overall, I really liked it. I think it's I think it's incredibly compelling and creepy and um, interesting. I do have issues with the end um, and with the overarching story and like the the, the mythology of it, um, but overall I, I I enjoyed the trip through and I think they they build you know they build the world well um, I think the answer and they build the mysteries well I think the answers they give you are a little less satisfying than I had hoped them to be but um, overall really good I think there's some how did you guys feel about Jack Nicholson because I feel like there's some scenes he nails. And there's other ones where he just feels like too hammy and he's playing crazy versus actually well, being... Um, well, I'll get into my thing. Like Jack Nicholson's got this thing where I think that after a certain point in the 1970s, he's just like, I'm just going to overact my balls off for the rest of my career. <laughs> and I think The Shining is kind of like part, his, yeah. his full transition into like, fuck it, I'm just crazy all the time. Like it's like um, in the, the movie The Departed, the Martin Scorsese movie, like his performance is like really over the top in that movie and some people really like that and consider it to be awesome and other people are like dude just you're not even in a real world anymore you're just kind of doing your own thing so that's kind of my feeling about him but what do you think uh dave about the nicholson uh yeah i mean i love jack nicholson and i think he's great at playing jack nicholson and, and, and <laughs> I, yeah uh, I, I agree because i like he's entertaining i think he's good but yeah it's, it is just it no, just he, seems extreme he is truly one of the great actors of all time, in my opinion. I mean, he's he's given so many great performances and different. I mean, he gets a a lifetime pass for the seventies. That you know, five easy pieces, one flew over the cuckoo's nest, cuckoo's easy rider, nest. yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you know, amongst many others, even some of his uh, more recent ones, uh, which isn't really that recent, like about Schmidt. He he was yeah, he toned way that. down in that one. Um, but yeah, he's a great actor, and you know. But the, the problem with Jack Nicholson is that he doesn't have a lot of range. I would say, you know, he's mm. uh, he's mm-hmm. very he's very engaging. He's very fun to watch. You know, but he doesn't. He you know he you wouldn't put. Yeah. He once played Jimmy Hoffa in a movie that came out years ago, and I had friends that really actually liked that movie a lot. But I could never get past him as I mean, it was just Jack Nicholson. I mean, he had great makeup, but I just I knew it was Jack Nicholson. And that same year, I think it was the same year that A Few Good Men came out, and Jack Nicholson, that's the perfect role for him, where he's just like, you know, uh, rage simmering underneath. You know, there's always an edge. It's just his face. His face. He's got these arched eyebrows. Those and eyebrows, man. Super Damn. wide smile. That's why he was perfect to play the Joker in the, you know, in the kind of movie that Batman was. Um, so he's... And I, I, I have an inkling, I have a feeling, Ivan, that we're going to be getting at the, the problem with The Shining. I, I mean, I'm just predicting, but can I just jump right into my feelings in general? Yeah, yeah about sure. Shining? So I like this movie. <laughs> I think it's I think it's a very good horror movie. I've never felt it was the masterpiece that a lot of people think it is. It's not my favorite Stanley Kubrick movie oh, for sure. Inter- okay, this is fascinating because um, I thought you were going to go in the other direction. You were going to talk about how amazing this was. No, okay. no. This, but this movie did – I mean, I was a Stephen King reader as young as probably 11 or 12. And so I went through a phase where I was just – reading Stephen King books nonstop. And I think I talked about that on the last podcast because we, we talked yeah, about but, misery. By the way, and, do you realize that this is the second movie? It's a Stephen King book about a writer who's trapped in a house <laughs> with a bunch of snow. Uh, yeah. yeah. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. And both have... Uh, For deal- very different reasons, I guess. <laughs> but No, but both are so similar in the sense that there's issues about substance abuse in both the movies. Yep. Uh, yep. I, I, I mean, Stephen obviously, King. Stephen King has obviously suffered through a lot of addiction, and he spent a lot of time in front of a keyboard. Yeah. So uh, that's reflected in a lot of his work. But anyway, right. sorry, continue. Yeah, so this you know this movie scared the shit out of me when i was a kid i mean it's just the imagery alone is just very frightening yeah. i mean you know the elevator scene stanley, with the blood. 
Stanley Kubrick is able to take very th- things that seem very mundane, like a woman in a ba- even the woman in the bathtub before she turns into this old witch. It's still kind of frightening, just the way that's Dude, that's where, I, that's where I had to turn it off and come back the next day. When they walk into the bathroom, <laughs> oh, no. and I'm like, I don't know what's in there, but they're creeping uh, through the room, and they're edging yeah. around the door. No, 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 that's enough for one night. Yeah. That's it. I mean, the two little girls, it's you know, they're they're iconic now, the two, the two yep, twins, the twins that are like, come yeah. and play with us, Danny. I mean, Man in a bear suit giving a guy a blowjob, you know. Blow job, and you I, know. I, oh, yeah. I, I saw oh, the, this, the I, bear suit. That is like, what the is, hell is it? Yeah, I have no idea what's going on there. It's and it, you know, those kinds of touches that are, you know, what makes it makes it makes this movie kind of special. I mean, this is a very different movie than the book. The book is scary in its own way. However, the big problem with the movie is the character arc, in my opinion, of Jack yep. Nicholson, where he starts off, he starts off in in the story, and I and I'm I'm not one to say that you have to, you know, the book has to be the same as the movie. One's better than the other. I mean, the movie movie's the movie, the book's the book. But what worked in the book was that the character wasn't crazy he was a, kind of a broken alcoholic dude person i am so he, glad you're saying this i agree a hundred percent jack nicholson is not yeah. is not it's almost like they if they had somehow had another actor play the part for the first half and then had jack nicholson play the part <laughs> for the second half it would have been perfect now who that would have been i don't know i mean maybe robert like someone like robert de niro might have been better for a role like this because he's he's able to portray um more a more human uh relatable uh persona you know but he's also able to play crazy like in cape fear so well i think james Kahn, coincidentally because we oh, just did uh, misery would have been really good in this role. maybe james Kahn. Um, but but he's so great in that last 45 minutes of the movie true. as the crazy person that that's why people like him in this movie so much if you look up the shining on on, on google images i mean just every shot is his face through the door saying here's right. johnny because that's such an iconic i mean it's, he's so believable as that kind of crazy person but at the beginning, he's not. So no, no, you know. I, I, I'm, I'm actually really glad to hear you say that because I thought I was an outlier in thinking this. I think the movie. Okay, so I think The Shining is a cinematic masterpiece. Yep. When I say that, yep, I mean yep, yep. the cinema, the language of movie in it is unequivocally, unequivocally great. Like it's just shot well, and it's got an amazing sense of mood, and it's clearly create. Cre- uh, it's certainly created by a master craftsman, which Kubrick is. Yeah. The problem with this movie is that the narrative doesn't work, especially from a character perspective, because he, Jack Nicholson's character, uh, Jack Tor. Torrance starts as an asshole mm-hmm. and he ends as a crazy asshole. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, there's no progression. And I'm assuming, I haven't read the book, mm-hmm. but if I were to base this idea of the book, I bet the character in the book is an alcoholic that's struggling to recover and is trying to like teetotal and then the, the, the hotel was like his breaking point where yeah. he ends up going insane. But the problem in this movie is he starts off a jerk to everyone. He's a jerk to his wife. He's a jerk to his son. Mm-hmm. He, 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 you don't like him. He's sleazy and weird. And yeah. so, so he's, when he's, he's weird in the beginning, and I think you need to start out. I think the, the story is so much scarier. I'll tell you the one scene where I really felt like we're seeing the character is when he wakes up from his dream where he kills everybody. There's a moment of sobriety there and clarity in his face where I feel like, oh, okay, like that's the real guy right there. Like he's realizing what's going on and he has a moment of clarity. But even that guy, I feel like, is different from the dude in the beginning of the movie. Like, it's not like it starts out where he's that kind of a good guy where he really is trying to make amends for... He just starts out, you're saying, like, Ivan, it starts out kind of weird and sleazy and kind of like this simmering, like, angry dad. And then just becomes more of an, a simmering, angry dad to the point where he wants to kill everyone with an axe. Yeah, you, you know, you, like... You, there, there were some things that needed to happen, even if he was going to play the role like that. Even if it was Nicholson was going to be kind of Nicholson-y at the beginning... There still needed to be a little more connection between him and his wife and his kids so that there was a, at least a little more of a he starts out here and ends up you yeah, know, somewhere there else. needed to be a, a sense that he's fighting against the forces of the hotel right. that are causing him to become evil. But it just feels like yeah. a natural progression, um, which is I'm guessing what Stephen King didn't like about this movie or doesn't like about this movie is because Stephen King, uh, I was reading the backstory, you know, he's a recovering alcoholic. He wrote right. this book. You know, as he's struggling to maintain sobriety, and it's, it's talking about how the demons can basically overtake you, how you can be a good person with good intentions, and how the uh, how so- a force stronger than yourself can force you to do bad things, which is you know alcoholism. But in this movie, it just doesn't feel like that works naturally. And it's something I really noticed this time around because when I first saw this movie, you know, like ten or fifteen years ago, when I first saw this movie, I was so creeped out by the tone of it. That I don't think yeah. it ever really dawned on me that that doesn't work. That it, it, there's failings uh, from a character perspective. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying I, I, earlier. I think the uh, the setting and the, and the and the cinematography 
does such a good job that it's it 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 kind of forces you not to look at some of the other stuff. But as it's going through, like I for me, I felt like I don't really know what his what is his motivation. His motivation, I guess, is to stay at the hotel because he loves the hotel so much, right? Well, but, the hotel I mean, is overpowering him. It's like an evil place. Yeah, but, Dave, but like, there's no like, I don't, I don't feel. It's just kind of like he's going down a river versus actually sitting at the bar and saying, you know what, I, I can't do this, and leaving the drink there, and then he's on the way out. Like, just seeing more, like even the scene where he sees the woman in the tub, starts making out with her, and then like there, there's the next scene. I feel like there's no real, um, uh, there's no effect of that scene in the next one when he comes back into the hotel. He just seems very calm and collected. He's like, nope, nothing in there. I checked. There's nothing there. It's just you know. He doesn't seem haunted. He doesn't seem like he's breaking. He doesn't seem any like it was almost like the scene felt like it was out of order. Like he was talking about that first and then went to go see the the, the bathroom scene for himself afterward. You know what I mean? I feel like that doesn't the the the, the beats and the, the the you know emotional graph at that point wasn't wasn't where it needed to be. Well, I think this is another issue I have with the movie. I I do think the movie actually has pacing issues, and um, I think that kind of going what what you're saying is like isolated scenes like each scene is undeniably compelling because the actors are very good like like all the acting is really good but they all go on for a really long time so you start stretching long scenes together over and over and you start putting them in orders where like you're saying where the order doesn't feel like it matters to the progression of the narrative because again he starts out as an asshole and just kind of becomes a more crazy asshole it's hard to I don't know. I, I feel like there's something about it structurally that doesn't quite work for me. Um, and there's scenes where, you know, you're seeing him with Danny, and at the by the end of the movie, I'm not sure if he actually really does care about him, because the only real scene he has with that kid is when he comes up to visit him and says, like, hey, you're not going to hurt us, right? And he's like, no, I never would. And that whole scene doesn't seem, it seems disingenuous from the start. He seems creepy. He seems Oh, it's the whole thing's like, creepy, yeah. Right. So you never really know. Like, does he actually love his kid? Like, I, there's no evidence in the beginning that he does. There's no evidence in the beginning that he's actually a good guy. Yeah. There's not much of a, it doesn't feel like there's much of a connection between him and his son, which I think there needs to be. Here's right. the, and the other big beef I have with The Shining, and I don't want to go too far in this tangent, but The Shining, because it's a Kubrick movie, uh, people have overanalyzed this movie to death to the point where I think where they, where they have found things that I don't think the filmmaker ever intended. Right. There's a movie called. Well, there's a whole yeah. movie called Room Two Thirty Seven, yeah. which is all about these conspiracy theories about what The Shining is really about. But it goes, which is it's which absurd. is <laughs> which is absurd. But it goes yeah. beyond that in the sense that. Um, there's this whole I, I started Googling about this movie I, I was trying to figure out like see I don't really know what The Shining is about I know what The Shining the book is supposed to be about it's about a man fighting alcoholism and the nature of that but I don't think that that comes through necessarily in the movie so if someone said oh what's the thesis of The Shining I can't I don't know what that is I don't know if you guys can answer the, that question like what is this movie about like so like to, to as a parallel The Shawshank Redemption another mm-hmm. Stephen King adaptation that's a movie about the power of hope right that's yeah. like that's what the thesis of that movie is right what is the thesis of the shining uh i mean it, it feels like uh to me it's about um you know kubrick's kind of that kubrick's kind of obsessed with um institutions and machines and you know um you know he's probably obsessed with uh you know maybe this is like a an anti um I want to say anti madness, of course, and who's going to be for madness? But I guess to me, this is a movie. This is a movie about madness, you know, just, you know? just the nature of the insanity. nature, the nature of madness. Okay, and uh, that's you know, a fair point. How it slowly creep, creeps up on you, and and um, you know how uncontrollable it can be. Um, but I guess like maybe it could be about you know the, the desperate uh, hope for purpose. If you want to look at it like at a completely thematic, because I feel like you know he's leaving so that he can actually get a job where he can. You know, use that isolation to really finally find his true calling to be a writer. I'm a writer. I need this time. And then just the fact that, like, I think he's almost maybe losing his mind over the fact that maybe he's just not a good writer. Maybe he doesn't have any ideas. Maybe, like, um, and then, you know, the new job he gets almost becomes his obsession of, like, keeping this hotel. Like, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the caretaker. These guys gave me this job, and I need to do this job right because maybe I'm not a writer. Maybe I'm not, you know. There's a lot of interesting stuff about the, you know, and uh, – you know the, the the fear of not being able to produce work. You know, seeing him sitting at the typewriter, um, not you know he's he then he kind of avoids the typewriter. He's playing catch in the lobby, and he you know that whole idea of of finding purpose, having purpose, finding something you know a purpose in your work, um, and how that can kind of shift and mutate where it becomes this obsession. It, it almost seemed to me like toward the later end of the movie where you know he's talking to Grady in the the bathroom and Grady's kind of talking to him almost like a boss like hey you need to take care of this this is your responsibility you know you are the the caretaker 
and how seriously he treats that. When he talks to his wife, he's even saying, like, don't you care about me at all? Don't you see how important this job is? And how I'm sure the exact same conversation has gone on in numerous household, households across the country about, I need to work late. I need to do this for the family. I'm doing this for you. When it really, I mean, you look at Breaking Bad, similar theme as well. Um, so I think, like, maybe it could be something about, you know, the, a man's desire to be able to provide for his family or be in control or have some kind of a responsibility. I don't know. Okay, that's interesting, um, especially because you know he takes it on his responsibility to kill everybody. But that's that's right. an interesting yeah. like distortion of. Well, that's like, like what a, the job calls for, you know. Like that's, right. that's what he yeah. has to do. It's so like I'm a, do that. Yeah, it's like a distortion of what is probably like a how something normal can be taken to like a really disgusting, distorted extreme. Right. Um, but I mean, when I was going down the rabbit hole of shining theories, um, there's this whole there's this whole um, school of thought that this movie. Is basically about Danny was abused by him. Uh, his son was abused by his father, and like not just physically but sexually. And and Danny is a repre- like that's why he has the imaginary friend that lives in his mouth, and that's why he's like withdrawn. And uh, the whole movie is about abuse in a certain way, um, which is again the, the, a big issue I have with this movie is I feel like you can extrapolate much about it, but I don't think enough is in the physical text. Like I don't think there's enough there there to to make it work unless you really, really want to believe a, a certain facet. So I don't know if you hold any credence to the Danny was abused theory and he's suffering from I mean, I think I, I don't stress know if, from that. Uh, yeah, it's hard. To, I I would say, yeah, I mean, I think it's in there in the sense of like, we know that his, his only serious injury came from his father yanking his arm out of the socket when he was drunk, right? So I mean, we know that that abuse is there. Um, we know that he's trying to kill somebody in the movie. So I think that it's there in plain sight. And I think, yeah, the movie is about the fact that you know, this son doesn't feel safe because his father can't be trusted. His father scarred their relationship by by injuring him that badly. Um, so I feel like that's there. And I, I know we've had discussions about this in the past about, you know, what is this movie symbolic of? And like, what's the, you know, the symbolic sub story here? I, I think that could certainly be a part of it. And I think it, it's, you know, I, I think it's almost a commentary on just almost like the sin of society as a whole, right? Like that hotel has a ton of you know, one of the feelings I got is you're, you're going through, especially toward the end, you're kind of going through time. You're seeing all these like strange occurrences that happen there, you know, like all the different things. You know, there's the people that are dead in the, um, the I think it's the great room. There's the, you know, the 1920s flapper party with the racist butler. We have like <laughs> the, the weird guy in the bear suit. We have the elevators full of blood. There's the, the twins that have been murdered. So I feel like it's almost like... Um, when when uh, Dick Hatlerin says the um, you know when when bad things happen it leaves an echo behind and some people can hear those echoes like it's kind of a commentary on like all the bad stuff that went down and you know we don't even know what happened with the woman in the bathtub but that's another another story as well that could have been a suicide we don't know but just all of the 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 horrors that have happened you know committed by humanity as a whole throughout the course of this hotel and everything that happened there um, I think that could also be another another theme as well. Um, no, I think I think that's a a, a good point uh, about like the haunting of the past and how that can uh, end up affecting the future. And I mean, from a horror standpoint, it's also incredibly creepy. Like yeah. hotel hotels are creepy places. How many people have lived there, or I mean, stayed there and slept there, or died there, or sick there? Like how many bad things have happened in a hotel? And I think that the movie obviously captures the atmosphere of that really well. Um, I mean. I mean, I, again, it's a cinematic masterpiece. I mean, you you talk about those tracking shots with the big wheel, like oh, those yeah. are those are the most iconic shots ever made. And I don't, and it, you know, it, you can't you can't d- deny the power of that in this movie. Yeah, so. I mean, he really was taking a new technology, the Steadicam, which was fairly new in in 1980. I mean, it only well, been when used was the Steadicam invented? It was the, the late, it was like mid mid to late 70s? Would use I mean that you know it wasn't uh you don't see it in that you see it in Rocky. Um, trying to you know the run up the stairs of course uh and a few other movies but yeah i mean mostly when cam- when a camera moved it was on wheels it was on a dolly so the way he was able to like you know really get a se- sense of geometry and and uh scope to the hotel just by moving the camera in ways that he probably he couldn't have done before you know it you know he just put his he like put his all into you know making those images interesting yeah going down the hallways i mean this was <laughs> creepy but it's, it's you know it's, it's creepy not just because of the movement but it's 
creepy because of what it ends up on you know it's like it, it has a it, it's like you're waiting for something you're waiting you're waiting you're waiting and, and then you run into these two little girls and we're like what are they doing in, what are they doing in there it's creepy in a way that that is the best kind of creepy it i mean there are a couple jump scare moments in the movie but they all i mean the movie for the most part takes place in lighted areas where when are there jump scares in there? uh like There's the a red, the red rum the red rum reveal um is a yeah, is a snap zoom with a with a big musical hit for the red rum reveal yeah. um Red Rom. Uh, so, I mean, there's like, and even when they reveal the twins, I think for the first time, it's a jump cut to them standing there. So, I mean, there are things that are, um, I, you could even argue when it's revealed that the woman he makes out with in the bathtub is like that zombie woman. Yeah, those are scary parts, but I, don't, I wouldn't necessarily call these jump scares. There, there are in there, though, because I, I know of a, there's a couple um, I can think of as being like, I'm, you know, I'm going to turn the volume down because I've already gotten jump scared once. <laughs> I'm just going to chill for the rest but, of it. Yeah. But, I mean, the movie is very successful about creating. Um, uh, what's the word? Like, um, it feels like it earns its scares in the sense that it's not tricking us into be, being scary. It's actually doing the work oh, of being sure. creepy. And it yeah. builds up to that that ending, which is completely batshit insane, where she's running around the house and there's skeletons and there's the butler with the axe in his head and like, hell of a party or whatever yeah, he says. Yeah. You know, it's just like all that crazy stuff that happens. And even just the shot of Nicholson frozen at the end is creepy. Yeah, that's oh, yeah. Ooh, yeah, yeah. So I mean, the movie is. Uh, there's the shot of Nicholson when he's when they're outside playing in the snow and he's just staring at them with that like lobotomized expression on his face. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. just, and, and it's like I think it's like the moment where he's actually starting to become corrupted and it's just something about that face that he's making of like there's like almost a hint of a smile and then it's gone and like an well, eyebrow that's... twitches and it's just like this like dead. That's a Kubrick thing. It's like he in almost every one of his movies he's got a. Um... A character kind of looking out over his brows, you know, he, their heads are their heads are kind of tilted down just slightly, and they're looking up, and that's just like a, you know, there's Private Pile in Full Metal Jacket or or uh, Alex in a Clockwork Orange, right, right, fair um, point, yeah. And I'm trying to remember what what other movies that he might have done that, in, but definitely, obviously, Jack Nicholson all throughout, you know, the good the second half of this movie, he's doing that. So, um, um, I guess my a couple of the questions I have, just so I maybe I can understand better myself, but. Okay, so I guess two other major issues I have with the movie, and maybe it's one issue, but for a movie about The Shining, it's called The Shining, which in the in the movie is about essentially the psychic connection that Danny has, correct? Right. Like he has the ability to uh, reach other people through his mental power, his mental powers, basically. Right. Um, the movie, it's called The Shining, but The Shining really has nothing to do with the movie, right? Like it's it's it doesn't really affect anything. You like, know, I, it, I feel like I so. I, I, I'm wondering if it's the term for everything that they're experiencing as a whole because I, I, my theory is that Danny just doesn't – it's not just Danny that has that. I think his father has it because – and I'm assuming he gets it through mm. like hereditary. But his dad is seeing people. He's going down in the ballroom and speaking with people. And I don't think he realizes it. I think he's kind of less aware of it whereas Danny kind of understands something freaky is going on. Um, and I think I would say like his wife to an extent kind of starts exhibiting the same traits by the end when she's seeing all these other ghosts. Now is it something that's – Something that could be, you know, it seems to me that it's hereditary, that you have it or you don't. It's a power, right? But it seems like she seems to pick it up, um, where I would say that maybe her, her husband and son both have it. So I'm wondering if, like, The Shining is just, you know, the whole thing is this transmission of all of these spirits and these these psychic energies and these ghosts throughout the entire movie that they're picking up on they're seeing. And, you know, for Jack, it corrupts him. His son, he's terrified of it. Um I don't know. I don't buy, I don't really buy into the theory that these are, these are all in their head, so to speak. You know, I... I you know, I, that's what I'm saying. I'm I, saying I, that they're, I, actually, I read, they're being communicated with by the, these things in the past that are either still stuck there or whatever theory you want to put forth about that. Yeah, I well, I, I mean, I think what Dave is trying to say is that by the end of the movie, all that shit is actually happening. Like yes. anybody could see it because the the hotel is this evil place. It's supernatural and is exposing these. Like that, that's what you're trying to say, right? Like, yes. Yeah. Um, I guess my I guess my question is like so. A comparison I would make, it'd be like if The Sixth Sense wasn't about, like, it was just a subplot that the kid was able to see ghosts. Like, that wasn't what the movie was about. But that's what the movie is about. Like, that's what drives the plot forward. Right. The Shining, the actual, because, like, oh, um, what's what's the name of the black chef? Uh, it's almost like it's Dick six, Halloran. It's, it's Dick just Halloran. a coincidence that he... Dick Halloran here. Yeah. <laughs> um, he, um... Like he he sits him down and talks about like the rules of the shining like oh this is gonna really like drive the force of the movie and it doesn't at all it's very odd the story it's, would be the same if they didn't have that psychic exactly power, for the and, most part. and and a point that a point that I even make to bolster my argument is you would think that 
what uh, what's his name Dick Dick Halloran when he's coming he's being communicated with by Danny that's how he knows to come but mm-hmm. he does absolutely nothing he's useless they, they, they it really bothers no he me brings they, he brings him the you know the 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 not the snow cat, but the thing they're able to use to get out of there. Yeah, but like, doesn't it kind of bother you that they spend? Oh yeah, like, they yeah, spend he like shows 40, up and doesn't do anything. Yeah, they spend it's very forty. They spend forty minutes of this movie establishing that he's in Miami and he's got these uh, pictures of naked women on his walls where he where he sleeps, and then he has to get a ticket to go to Colorado and then rent a well, car. Well, the same like, thing is I, I it's the same so thing as the sheriff in um, the one we just watched last time. <laughs> That's the, true. I do have is- apparently I have issues with side plots in movies, but this really bothered me in the sense because he just shows up and dies immediately. Like yeah, immediately. I think I think, I think it's a mechanic, and I think it's cheap, and I think I, I hate when movies do it, but I think it's almost like they get you attached to this guy. They have so much time invested in him. You're like, oh, he's going to come in and save the day. I know what's going to happen, and then they're like, yeah, you think you know what's going to happen? He just took an axe to the chest. How's your theory wait, now? Wait, Dave, do you recall the book at all? Is his trajectory the same in the book? Yeah, I'm, I'm, it's funny. I'm actually looking at the Wikipedia article <laughs> right now about the book. And so, what, what is your question? Does does he literally do nothing? Like, in the sense, does he just show up and die in the book, or does he have more of an active role in the movie? Uh, or in the book? Yeah, I mean, I think he has a pretty active role in the movie itself, too. I mean, it's, it's no different in the book than it is in the movie. Okay. Uh, Halloran. Uh, because I agree that he needs to die. I think you need to have that shocking moment where because Jack needs to kill somebody, right? right? Like he has to kill somebody. Right. So it makes sense that he's the one that dies, but it just seems odd to me that he doesn't do more first or that they spend so much time setting up him coming here like it's going to be a very big thing and it never is. It's well, weird it, how it doesn't pay off. This, it, it helps to sell um, well, actually, Jack, Jack's over it. the edge, right? It, it really convinces you that this guy, okay, so he's he's not going to stop himself, right? But it does. He, he it actually does play is going to try. If you think, because that's without him showing up, Jack Nicholson comes in the bathroom and murders his wife. Right. The, he's on his way in there, and then he hears that, and he decides that he's going to take care of that first. He, he does get slashed across the arm, but I mean, I th- it's a, it's a flesh wound. <laughs> I think like he's going to go back in and kill her. He hears that, he decides to go down there and deal with that first. So that not only does it get her out of the bathroom, but it also gives them the the you know the vehicle to get out of there as well. I mean, now, granted, you, you could also what? say, um, like, well, yeah, fine, but, you know, they would have... They would have survived anyway. They would have survived guys, anyway. They had right. food, and they had yeah. electricity, yeah. and... You know what? Halloran survives in the book. It's, oh! It, it, in, in the book, he... Uh... So Kubrick's just a racist, is really what it comes down to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reading, I'm looking at it now, and, and I completely forgot. I read this book, at, of course, at summer sleepaway camp. Which is the you know perfect? You read this book in the woods at night when oh, you know God. everyone else is asleep. That's why, why, wait, that's so why, why you were getting your uh, first hand job? Is that usually what happens to sleep? Uh, huh. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. All right. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. How the hell this happened? Oh boy! Stop! Stop! I, I got to read this. <laughs> <laughs> he was always very into uh, entertainment. No, that's interesting to me because I feel like I feel like he needs to die. I'm just kind of. I'm kind of fascinated by how he dies and where he dies in the movie. Um, yeah, structure. He doesn't kill anybody in, in the. You know, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and read the whole article while we're talking. But I mean, it's, it's <laughs> makes great radio when <laughs> when Dave reads Wikipedia on the podcast. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, yeah, I don't know. I think the only, the main reason for him to have the psychic powers is maybe it's the way for the hotel to communicate with him. You know, maybe you know, the hotel is its own entity. Yeah, that you call it something different. You call it Overlook, or I, I don't know. You give it a different name. I, well, I well, okay, like okay. instead of The Shining. Okay, why? What is what is the deal with Tony? Can you explain Tony to me? I don't understand. So, Tony, well, let, let me. I, I think Tony. You know, it, a lot of this is like okay. shades of The Exorcist. I think like it, it is very much. This is why what seven years after The Exorcist. So it's. You think Tony is a demon? He's, he's possessed, Danny. No, I, I, think, I think Tony he, is a, like a like a. I don't know. No, I, yeah, I think yeah, I don't just think it's a voice a bad, in his he's head. not a bad ghost. He's a good, he's wait, a good wait, one. He helps him wait, out. I'm sorry, we got to go back. Okay, Tony is the voice inside the try the kid's head. His right? conscience, he's the little, little worm guy. No, I understand that worm Tell- guy. It's just his finger. He, it's not a worm. He just uh, moves no, he's his not finger. a worm. But he does the freaking worm every time he talks, or almost every okay. time. He's just moving his finger. What worm are you talking about, Dave? Dave, Dave. Do you know what you know what like metaphors are? Like, I'm not Dave. saying he's an actual worm. He does the no, worm no, no. I want to. So you think you think that. Tony is just an imaginary friend. He's, he's no, part I, of no, his. I think, it's, I think it's another entity no. that either it's like you know saying either like a uh, no, he's a yeah, ghost that's yeah. helping him out or something. It, it but, exists that, that entity, but but it's very much so. Is like, he a oh, benevolent Danny's, or is he a benevolent or malevolent character? I, I think, think he's a benevolent character. No, oh, interesting. I, I, I would, okay, you know, I, I don't know if he's well, it's trying to protect him, right? It's trying to, to it? warn him. Well, that's he, what it, it seems like. He is, but it's saying murder is about to happen. You know. Are you done? Uh, of course, uh, he's, he's he's a dyslexic. Um, he's a dyslexic. He's a dyslexic conscience. So wait, okay. So Mike, what is your theory on on Tony? No, I, I don't know. I mean, I, the evidence is there that he's over 
um, not overtly, overall a good a good guy. He's helping him out. He's warning him. But there's something about him that's just so damn creepy. And a lot of it is like, oh, Danny's not here right now. And I'm like, that's straight out of Exorcist. Like, that's totally the, oh, yeah. the same idea. That, so it has shades of that. And I don't know if that's how it is in the book. I don't know if that's something that Kubrick did is like, cause, oh, yo, possessed kids are so hot right now. Let's do it. This is like, this is like, this is the new hotness. <laughs> but no, I mean, well, I mean, to be fair, possessed kids are like a well, staple the, of horror movies. Yeah, that right. was uh, what, the omen. That was, a, well, I guess it's not a possessed kid. That's a demon kid. There's so many movies about creepy kids. Kids are, kids are creepy. Kids are creepy. Let's be honest. <laughs> My uh, my son is terrifying. So yeah. uh, no, I mean it's it's definitely um, I I I can't quite wrap my head around it, and I'm still not quite sure what he's trying to say. I think that if you go back to that original theory I mentioned about abuse, it's like how kids you know how kids who are abused like manufacture imaginary um, entities or forces to express their. Um, express that abuse in a different way like you could you could you could argue that he has been manifested because of what he's gone through or you could just argue that the hotel is messing with his head but the thing about the thing about tony is tony exists prior to them going to the overlook he exists months before they go to the right i think he's he's a sensitive kid and he picks up on these other spirits right he's just happened to pull the spirit onto him but the fact that he says he lives in his mouth makes it seem like it's it's it sounds more parasitic than anything else. It's not like, oh, my friend is here and he kind of comes and goes and he ta- he tells me things. I, something about that just sounds weirder that like or darker. And again, maybe it's just the exorcist kind of predispos- predisposing me to that. But no, just- I think I think you're right, Mike. I think that the when he says it lives in my mouth, I think that it's inherently creepy. Yeah, like, yeah, that that conjures a certain image. I think he's just saying that it like the the word like the it comes out of my mouth. Like he comes out of my mouth. That's know? not what he said. It's a voice. Says, he says, Dave, he's he lives in, I know, I know. Well. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I, I still, but I'm still not quite. Is he like sure. the right upper molar? Or? <laughs> I'm still yeah, not where quite, exactly is it under your tongue? I'm still not quite sure. The movie. I don't even know if the movie. I don't even know if Kubrick knows what Tony is. And I think this goes into a larger problem. I think with the movie is I think that. Um, I, I don't know if the movie knows what a lot of its symbolism. Yes. Means. So here, let's. This is what I was talking about earlier. I feel like the movie doesn't have a strong. I think Prometheus is a similar problem where it creates mysteries, but it doesn't really know what the answers are and doesn't really care because the questions are so damn creepy that it's like, ah, it doesn't matter. No one's going to ask questions. Like, what's what's the deal with the final shot seeing Jack Torrance in the picture? So what? Does he died and come back multiple times? No, Is I like he, to think like, that the hotel has somehow absorbed him. He's owned him, yeah. And he's, he but now then, exists well, no, in the No, then you do that with like a portrait. You show him like in a portrait or something like that instead of showing him at an actual specific place in time. That like well, oh, it's not like you had here. seen that picture before, and then he popped up. I don't think. Yeah, I, to, to me, what that implies is that oh, he was ba- he was here back in the 1920s. He always belonged, and they say they tell him like oh, you've always been the caretaker. This has always been your job. Or maybe that's, a, not, that's a picture of the caretaker, and every time a new guy goes there, it gets the replaced. face just is replaced. Yeah. Well, then okay, if that's the case, then show that picture earlier on, so he can say like oh, look at that, that's the old caretaker. And then you see that oh, it's now it's him. He was the new, oh. you know. Well, oh, that, I that think makes it a little less subtle. I think. Well, the, yeah, but we, let's not so mistake subtle for for sloppy storytelling. I think that's the problem is that <laughs> there, there's subtlety, and then there's just like uh, things that don't really make any sense, but. Isn't that creepy? He was always uh, in that. Picture. I agree. There's like, plenty that doesn't make sense. No, yeah, I, I yeah. think I'm on Mike's table. I'm on Mike's page here. I think that the movie is great at setting up mood and atmosphere, and like, yeah. oh, isn't that creepy? And scaring you. It's, and it's successful as a scary movie. Totally, I totally. Right, and, I, yeah. and I don't want to deny the power of this movie in that sense. Like I said, yeah. cinematic masterpiece. I just, I feel like we. Um, I feel like the movie doesn't it gets it gets it gets away a little bit with uh, without having to really uh, do the hard work of like figure out what stuff means, um, which I, I kind of don't like when movies do that. I'm like one of those people that really this this probably speaks to my lack of intelligence or imagination. But I like when movies come down on certain things. Like I like when they make definitive statements about things. Right. Like one of my least favorite things is like I've been to so many film festivals because I make short films and. The, my least favorite thing is when you go to like a film festival and you, the director gets up there and he's like, you know, man, I just want the audience to like no, I don't I tell me what it's about. It, yeah, it, it's all up for interpretation. I'm like, you know, fuck that. You need to know what your movie's about and you need to know what you're trying to say. Well, I think when, when filmmakers say that, what they're really trying to say is that like once I'm done with it, you know, like a movie's never finished, right? You just you, you stop making it and then it's out there. Then let me know and what then, you yeah, think yeah, about but it. the same theory. I mean, that, that's right. kind of then, a lot of like songs have the same problem for me. When when the the songwriter says. 
I don't want to tell anyone what the song is about because I want them to find their own meaning in it. Well, part of me is like, no, the half of the you know poignancy of a song is knowing what it's about. Like, oh, this is about your, you know, like, for instance, your, your battle with alcoholism. Wow, it puts it into a new light versus just mm. thinking like, oh, I'm fist fighting somebody. You know what I, I mean? Like, it depends. I mean, that's it's you, you put your, you put the artist in a tough position there because they say too little, then you're not satisfied. They say too much, you're not satisfied. You know, you like you, you get like that's you, why making great movies is so hard, Dave. Right? I know you get something like 2001 where it presents all these questions. You get something like 2010, which answers way too many questions. 2010, uh, 2010, a space odyssey. Oh, the I never sequel, saw that movie. <laughs> the, the sequel was well. It, it tries to answer all these. You know, like, what are the aliens? What are they trying to yeah, do? Yeah, yeah. And, and you run into the Mandalorian problem where you try you over-explain something and it loses right. the magic. But there's a right. middle ground, I think, that you need to strike where you have a, a set of rules or you have, like, a, you know, a, a through line where you feel like, oh, now I understand everything. Or it just makes things make more sense. Or you're well, feeling like... Well, those, a, those rules, you you guys, you know, I, I actually saw this miniseries in the 90s with... It, it stars Steven Weber from the TV show... Uh, Wings, wings. Remember that? Remember that yeah, show? I do. Uh, it came on after Cheers. On a, anyway, <laughs> Thomas Hayden Church. Yeah, I remember that being. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, right. Thomas Hayden Church was on that show too, but not in this movie. It starred Rebecca De, uh, De Mornay and uh, uh, Stephen uh, Weber played the Jack Nicholson part, and he played it the way I think King had uh, meant it to be played, which is he's kind of this gentle, nice guy who's sad and depressed because he. He's had trouble with alcoholism, and he's corrupted, and, and, and he, yeah, he's corrupted, and he turns into like a, a demon dad at the end. And uh, yeah, I mean that movie isn't good. <laughs> that story isn't good. Yeah, but, but you it, could argue that just has to do with like so the alchemy of making a good movie what is was, so is so crazy. Like it takes all the right pieces coming together: good director, good story. Like everything has to come. What together. I was getting at is that that miniseries tries to explain a lot of the stuff we're complaining about now where it's like you wish there were more rules explained or maybe just a little bit striking that balance that's an example where they just go way over the top with it you know right Tony in in that movie in that movie you should look it up on YouTube uh, Tony is like a floating preppy teenager with glasses who's talking who's talking to the kid and the kids if if you the kids performance in, in the original Shining is okay, Danny Lloyd. I think he's very good. I think he's really great. I thought he's great. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, so I mean, I, I'll, I'll give you that. But I mean, I thought personally, I thought he was fine. He was good. The kid in the in the miniseries is terrible. And, that just means he's a bad actor. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I'm saying that he's a terrible actor in that in that <laughs> miniseries. So, I mean, and you know, they they made that whole miniseries, and no one was saying oh, this kid can't. Act. Just like they made Phantom Menace, and no one was saying like uh, George, this kid can't act. You know, well, you know, you're already there. All the lights are set up. You got to just keep going at that point, Dave. Mm, yeah, I guess. Um, no, my question for you is: uh, speaking for of her. bad acting, how does Shelley Duvall fall in that? Oh, she's. From, I think she's fine. She's I think great. she's not good. I think she's. Uh, bad. She's uh, hit and she hit or miss. I think there's some scenes she's very when she has to freak out about stuff. It's like too it. much. Oh, yeah, I think it's too much, uh, man. No, I think she's. I think she looks good. I don't know something, but I think she, she does a really good job there. It's some of the scenes where she has to talk to somebody. It's like she looks very self conscious of her teeth. She keeps like closing her. I, I, something about well, it is just very like she has this awkwardness that I I yeah. buy I buy I buy her as a person that would marry someone like uh, Jack Torrance. You know, like yeah. like she's you know she's not the most attractive. She's kind of awkward. But there's something um, sweet about her. Like she's and there's like, something sweet. I, I like her right. as a character. She's like a, she's like a, I feel like she exists out of time. Her character's like a Mary Sue from like the 1950s. Is like it a Mary Sue someone who has abilities beyond? Uh, oh, shoot. Is that? I've been using that term wrong my entire life. Yeah. It's this idea that she... Let me Google this up isn't, right now. Isn't that what people were saying about Ray in The Force Awakens was that she was a Mary... Uh, I could be wrong. And maybe it's another Sue, but I thought a Mary Sue was a character that... Uh, oh, it's a seem. Oh, you're right. I'm totally wrong. It's a seemingly perfect fictional character right. um, who saves the day through unrealistic. You're thinking abilities. of like a, a 50s like uh, think, housewife. Yeah, I'm thinking of this idea that she's like she just exists like out of time. Like she's a little bit. She's like meek and mousy yeah. and and. Uh, uh, I mean, I agree. But it's like they, it would have been more interesting, just like with Jack's character, to have more a little more of an arc with her, where it's like you see a little bit more of a connection between the two of them. Well, Stephen um, King was saying she was supposed to be a cheerleader type, like kind of like a vapid, spoil. I think rich kind of spoiled. Well, then that would explain Rebecca yeah. Mornay in, in, in the miniseries because, she, I don't know, she's blonde and she's more traditional, you know, apple pie American kind of kind of thing. And, and Shelley Duvall definitely isn't. Um, you know, she played olive oil in Popeye and she was in Nashville. Um, you know, she was, you know, an unusual actress i would say and and uh but you know in in this in this setting i, I bought her as a uh, you know 
person with probably low self-esteem that ended yep. up with this guy who who uh, can't control himself. It just would have been more interesting if if, if uh, we saw a little bit more of a, of a loving type of connection at the beginning so that the ending had a little more tragedy to it. That's what, yeah, yeah I was really kind of craving that. Like, there's never any point where you feel like, like when she says, oh, let's go for a walk. I'm like, this guy doesn't go on walks. Are you kidding me? Like, he's, <laughs> this dude is going to sit on the couch, watch TV, and crack open a beer. He doesn't do walks. <laughs> yeah, he, and he's never walked. And I kind of to see that. They, they should have maybe shown early on, like, maybe in the beginning when they're looking around at the hotel, if it's a little more loving or a little more like, wow, look at this, check this out, and how excited they are for, like, their future at the place. Just none of that. We don't really get that feeling. And I, I think, you know, Maybe he's trying to make a comment about like men of that time period. It was a lot more, you know, uh, chauvinistic and that kind of stuff. But I don't know. I think it's a disservice to the story to do that. Um, yeah. I, I, again, I think there's a lot of interesting things to talk about this movie and whether or not it really it works beyond just the mood and tone and cinematography. I guess my final question, you guys, as we're kind of closing this episode out, is of the three movies we've watched from Kubrick, where does The Shining rank? Oh, what else have uh, we done? We did uh, Clockwork Orange. We did this one. What was the other one? This 2001 is third for me. 2001 and a Clockwork Orange. Oh, right, right, right. Ooh. This is the bottom of the three for me, but it doesn't mean it's not a great movie. It's just. It's, well, uh, for me, uh, I like this better than 2001 because I, I purely, purely as a purely as a movie goer, I, I I think 2001 portions of 2001 are boring. I'm sorry. Like I know that no. I know that's like wrong. Like no, I know that I know that's like the wrong movie answer. Like you should like you should love everything about 2001. But I think that no, this don't movie, do that, Ivan. There's no wrong answer because if there was, then you get in trouble for saying that like Aliens isn't a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> that is the wrong answer. That, well, that's the wrong answer. But um, no, but this idea that uh, I, I think that just like I feel like you could show The Shining to general audiences, right? You could show them and, you know, whether or not you get any higher symbolism out of it, I guarantee you that general audience is going to be creeped out and entertained. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, I think we have this pretension with movies that art, art can't, Art can't be mainstream, and I don't abide by that by any stretch of the imagination. And this this is like Kubrick's, like one of Kubrick's most mainstream movies, right. I would say. Um, so I, I appreciate it for that fact. But where, where do you fall, uh, Mike? I, I kind of want to say I, I like this the best just because of what it made me feel. And I think the um, of all the potency of all three of them, I feel like this one has the, the richest feeling. Like it's just the shots alone, I think, just speak volumes. I feel like it creates a real good sense of place and a good sense of, mood and feeling and like, like the gold room just when they're walking through that for the first time I'm like oh something's, something's gonna happen in here um, <laughs> no, like I there, mean, there's I, just a lot yeah. of, I think they pick a really interesting setting and I think just a lot of that contributes to how I feel you know the most you know emotionally I, would, I wouldn't say moved I'd say disturbed uh, it's the kind of way. thing that it kind of, it's the kind of thing that really makes you appreciate like movies like how a master craftsman just creates worlds that engross you and I think that the, right. the, the world, show. the world that this takes place in, is almost like the star of the movie itself. Totally, right? totally. The hotel is yeah. like maybe the secret star. Which I, mean, I, I, I thought, I assume the whole thing was shot in that place. There's the exterior, and then they just did. They built everything was on a soundstage, I think. Right. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of the the hotel was constructed, so there, there's some stuff I think that was on set. But I think I think like the gold room, I think that was a soundstage. Um, I assumed they were all actual places, and he Kubrick went in there and was like, "Oh my God, this, we're gonna make a movie in here." <laughs> um, but I'm not sure if that's the case, which is really sad to me. I, I kind of want to believe that it actually exists. Um, also, uh, my final comment of the movie is those opening credits suck. It's the worst opening credits that have oh, ever been made. Yeah, like I agree. it's just like not not the aerial sh- photography. That's beautiful. This weird blue text that scrolls up on the yeah, screen. Nice. It is so bad, and it it, it, it it baffles me that that like even in the 1970s, you could tell that it was seems bad like design, an right? Compared to like say the title sequences for Dr. Strangelove for 2001. Well, I mean, especially because they obviously spent a lot of time getting these, like there were no drones back in 1989, 79 when they shot this. They actually had to get helicopter shots with all this beautiful Colorado scenery. So it always boggles my mind when they had this weird blue slow crawl. So anywho, uh, my final thought on that. So um, closing out this episode, we need to talk about what we're going to do next time, right? Um, I'm going to give you guys three options. Oh boy. And they're all topical. Kind of. So you're going to choose which one you guys want to do. Okay? The first option is Major League because mm-hmm. the Indians were just in the... Uh, they just, just lost the World They just Series. lost the World Series, but it's about, you know, the Indians being a good baseball team. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one. It's not we just baseball en- season, though. 
Uh, that's well, that's maybe a reason not to do it. Two, uh, I want to do Disney's Beauty and the Beast, mm-hmm. the 1991 film, I believe, mm-hmm. um, because there's going to be a live action remake of that coming out in a couple months. And it's the 20th. And it's also the 25th anniversary of that film. And the third one is we are about to go through a contentious election that everyone wants to kill themselves with. Election. Uh, uh, can, yeah. Uh, no, not no. not election. Oh. Uh, the American president. The uh, oh, the Aaron Sorkin romantic comedy because I want to watch a movie that makes me feel good about oh, politics. Okay. Yeah. So where do you guys fall on those well, three movies? What would you guys rather do? I'm going to pick Beauty and the Beast because we just did uh, a Rob Reiner movie last time. Oh, good call. Yeah. And mm, uh, and Beauty and the Beast you okay. can watch with your daughter if she hasn't seen it already. Which I've already watched it like ten times with her. So okay. <laughs> I don't really have to watch it again. I will watch it again. But. All right. No worries. What happens if we split the vote three ways? What do we do? Uh-oh. What well, is, what is I your mean, pick, Ivan? I think I was leaning towards Beauty and the Beast. Okay. Not kinda, of I kind of want to see Major League because I've heard a lot about it and never actually seen it. Um, Beauty and the Beast I've seen a couple times, so... Uh, How do you feel I, about Major League, Dave? Uh, well, I don't know. It's this is great radio, it's been, by the it's way. Been a, it's been a long time since I've seen See, this is why we need to talk about the before. No, it's, it's fine. It's interactive. The audience can interact. They can, they can tell us what they want. Maybe, maybe we should put it up for a vote. I would say vote for one of those yeah, two. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to put it on Facebook yeah. and we're going to Facebook is going to tell us what we're going to watch. How about all that? two all Major two League votes or Beauty and the Beast. All we're going to see we're going to get three votes. Yep. And that's going to be the deciding factor. Major yep. League or Beauty and the Beast. That's um fine. so there you go. Um uh, Mike, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me at uh, my website at mikemirandi.com or on Twitter at Mike Morandi. And I will just announce that I've recently gone freelance for animation motion graphics. So if you're not and already going also, to Ivan or Dave to do animation, you can also come to me. <laughs> and he's also off the market, ladies. By the oh, way, yes. we didn't mention that. We didn't mention that on the podcast. He is it's engaged. Personal, Congratulations, yeah, Mike. Yeah, There's a woman just... somewhere in Poughkeepsie. Uh, who just <laughs> threw down her iPod in disgust that she cannot win right. Mike's Oh, it's so. not just one woman, man. It's women. Many. Scores, scores of scores of women. Like, are... I really like the guy with the slightly deeper voice. I really like the guy that I really like the guy that hates aliens. I really like that. Guy. He had so many intelligent things to say about it. It's just uh, <laughs> real iconoclast. Dave, <laughs> Dave, where can people find you on the internet? On Twitter, Dave Glanz, G L A N Z, and my portfolio is DaveGlanzProductions.com. You can find me. Um, I'm Ivan Kander. You can find me at Ivan Kander. That's K A N D E R on Twitter, and my website is Lucky Nine Studios. So um, I will, we'll, you know, we'll, I'll post on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash reviewed podcast where you can vote on what the next episode is going to end up being. Um, and so until next time, it's either going to be Major League or Beauty and the Beast. Um, what's a good final? Something much happier than this movie. Yeah. <laughs> either, either way. All right. See you guys next time. Peace.